Today's reading is Psalm 97. It can be found on page 554 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all peoples see his glory. All who worship images are put to shame. Those who boast in idols, worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and rejoices, and the villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments, Lord. For you, Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Let those who love the Lord hate evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light shines on the righteous and joy on the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise his holy name. The word of the Lord. As we reflect on this psalm, and as we listen for God's voice in this psalm, I invite you to um, open in prayer with me. Our God of grace, we come and we sit in these chairs. We might not know the person sitting next to us. We might feel like we know them, but we know just a couple of shallow layers at the top. And we all come into this space from various kinds of life experiences, and faith journeys. So whether we come today with doubt, and we wish we had answers, we wish things made sense, or whether we come at peace, maybe we can explain the peace, or maybe we can't. Or maybe, or, or maybe we come and we feel a great negativity of some sort about others, about ourselves, about the world. Or maybe we feel grateful. Maybe we feel numb and we don't we just we don't feel a whole lot this morning. From all these kinds of places, we're we're all sort of looking to be oriented around something bigger and deeper and richer than what we can produce on our own. So that's what we're doing now. We turn ourselves all towards you, acknowledging the mess and so grateful that you move towards the mess and that Jesus, your son, came into a messy world to renew, to redeem, to bring mercy and forgiveness. So we're all more of a mess than we care to admit, but we're all in Jesus more loved and accepted than we ever imagined. And now we look to this story to help us hold that, um, hold to that messy grace. Um, A beloved, broken identity. And we ask for your help and your Holy Spirit as we listen for your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 97 talks about glory. What is glory? We have in the um, worship guide, you can fill out an answer to the question of the week, you know, for next week. 
We already had this question last week, and I did, we didn't get any responses. So you're, it seems like you need this sermon. You really, I mean, I feel today like, wow, I've got a captive audience. They have no idea what glory is. They don't even know what to write down. What is glory? So, um, as, as I thought about this, studied this, and, and really dove into Psalm 97, eventually my mind wandered of course, naturally, to the Super Bowl where Michael Jackson was performing. And I don't know what year it was, I didn't look it up, I didn't do it, but I just remember the vivid images that were going on, and, and it reminded me of the word glory and kind of the sense of awe, because I didn't know what to expect, and I wouldn't say I was any more of a Michael Jackson fan than anybody else, but I was in awe because what happened was, okay, it's, it's you know, the camera opens up and, and what are you looking at? And all of a sudden, up pops Michael Jackson with like this, first with this fire and this smoke explosion, and then he kind of rises up on one corner of the arena and does a bunch of dancing. And then on the other corner of the arena, way up high above the people, he rises up again. Of course, it's, a, it's these Michael Jackson look or lookalikes, right? But it's a pretty, pretty incredible thing. And, and the fire and the smoke, and then he comes out and he's dancing over there. And then it happens in a couple other places. And then, you know, the camera goes to the center stage, and then he comes out from under the stage, like in a tube, you know, it's like futuristic, and he just rises up, and he's, his body posture is kind of like this, he's confident, and he's got the microphone just like me, you know, (laughs) and he comes up out of the ground, and he rises up above everyone else, and then, and then he just stands there, and they waste this airtime with silence. You know, there's a sense of he's so grand, he's so amazing that who cares that it's completely silent for like, it was probably almost a full minute where you're just watching, you're silently watching Michael Jackson standing there still. It was, it was, pretty, it was pretty like jaw-dropping for me. Maybe some of you were like, ah, it was nothing. But I mean, I was like, even through a little TV, you're watching this and you're like, this is kind of cool. This is like, this caught my breath a little bit, how, how stunning this was with the smoke and fire and silence. Um, I wonder, though, if you ever feel like we've lost a sense of glory. You ever feel like you're in a place in life or maybe you see it as broader in the culture. Do you ever feel like glory just doesn't resonate with us? We don't walk around with a sense of awe about anything, it seems like, sometimes. You know, you say, oh, I've seen that. I've done that. Is everything okay over there? Okay. That's good. These kind of shocking sounds are good for a glory sermon. Wake us up. Because we can get really just... Like, we've seen everything, we've done everything, everything's at our fingertips through this tiny little screen that has all the answers and all the videos of all the most amazing jaw-dropping sites in the entire world. And so we walk around, and it's sometimes like, I've seen that, I've done that, I've seen that meme, I've heard that joke, um, I've heard that one, and we're consistently underwhelmed. You ever get in that kind of place where you realize that's going on? It's kind of like, you know, the difference between a balloon that's blown up and a balloon that's not blown up is that when there's a balloon, if I was holding one in my hand right here, this 
fully blown up balloon and I had a pin in this hand, I would kind of have, you guys would be a little bit on the edge of your seat. You'd be right away by, ooh, I know where this is going, right? But you'd also be kind of ready. And if I was standing in the back and didn't tell you and I brought those two together, you'd jump and your eyes would open. So glory's a little bit like that. It's like something that's like, ooh, this is, this? Okay, I'm awake. I'm ready for what's going to happen next. But like, what's, what's it like when that balloon has no air in it? I mean, just a simple thing. If I haven't blown it up yet, now I've got a pin and everybody's just like, eh, yeah, yeah, nothing's going to happen. Yeah. You know, and I could sit up here for a minute trying to poke that pin into that thing and, and there's, just, there's a sense in which we can walk around and that can be our kind of glory sense. That can be how disconnected we are from anything that might stop us in our tracks. You know, a world where people crowd around, as you maybe you've seen one of these pictures online, a world where people crowd around the Mona Lisa. And they, because they start to sense the awe and the power of this, what do they do? They pull out this little thing and they take a tiny little video of it. And they look at it through. Have you ever seen one of these pictures where everyone's standing around one of the most jaw-dropping things ever, and they've all got their tiny little screens out with the pixels and you're kind of like, something just doesn't, you know, something doesn't sit right with that picture. And um, later that day, maybe the same person, as I witnessed, um, my wife and I got to spend some time without our children in Maui, and we were, so we, I was gone the last couple Sundays. And, you know, so every sunset is amazing and just jaw-dropping, and there's a sense of glory and, um, you know, so maybe one of those same people who was looking at the Mona Lisa is like the, the people I saw sitting in front of me as the, the most amazing sunset was going down, and they were, they, were, um, they were doing this throughout the whole thing. They were like this. <laughs> and this amazing glory is in front of them. Um, we, you know, there's, there's something going on there with our how much we're living in a sense of awe and glory and how much we're just not because we've got, you know, Instagram and Facebook and Candy Crush and all these other things like Pinterest and whatnot instead. It's not just a new diagnosis that never happened before. It's not just because of smartphones. It's been around a very long time. In all places, all times, we have always had this option of just looking around and going, yeah, 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 I know this one. I've seen this. Uh, You know, ho-hum, this is how things go. There's nothing so awesome anymore that it almost has a tiny bit of terrifying nature to it. There's nothing to awe or surprise me anymore. And so you even read back farther in the pages of the Bible to when Pharaoh was kind of like this, when Moses came before him with a simple request of let my people go. And Pharaoh saw these signs, pretty jaw-dropping signs that Moses was able to do with his staff, these incredible things. And Pharaoh just kind of said, oh, ho-hum, I've got magicians who can pretty much do the same stuff. Uh, you know, off with you, Moses. I'm not going to pay attention to you or this supposed God of yours. This has been a human option all along. It's not just us today to walk around never impressed, to walk around saying, been there, done that. And thankfully this morning we have Psalm 97 to sort of jog us out of our jaded stupor 
there's this stunning wake-up call in these verses, a stunning wake-up call that gives us God's glory on full display. What is it like? What is it like when God comes close? What would it be like to get a glimpse of kind of the, the real power of God's being What is available on the other side of what often feels like a a pretty thick barrier? And what if that barrier got really thin? What would we see? What would we experience if we could pierce through the barrier? That's a little bit like what Psalm 97 is doing for us, transporting us into this scene of jaw-dropping, goose-bumpy shock and awe as we start with a king. You know, it says, the Lord reigns. The God above everything else is on a throne. There's confident power over a kingdom. So that's sort of like a starter concept. And, and then what is it like for that king to be present, for us to experience that king? Well, there's clouds and thick darkness surrounding him. There's fire going before him. There's lightning lighting up the world. There's shaking and trembling and earthquakes happening and you know mountains you know how you look at a mountain especially some of the taller ones and like in the sierra nevadas you look and you go that thing is unmovable i mean how how huge of a barrier that is how incredibly eternal that thing is and in this picture when god shows up it says the mountains melt like wax before the lord before the Lord of all the earth. And then the heavens are somehow proclaiming his righteousness. And then you sort of get this summary statement of where this is all going, is um, the heavens proclaim his righteousness and all peoples see his glory. Everyone sees his glory. Glory in Hebrew, is a word that is all about weightiness, heavy. You, you would use the same word um, if something had glory, you would say that has glory. It, it, the same as if something like was really heavy, you'd say that has glory. Significance, weight, glory. That's what nine, 90, Psalm 97 gets at. And it gets at our need to know and experience glory and to respond, to live as if there's weightiness really close by and perhaps even pervading everything that we're participating in. So Psalm 97 just just sits here as a gift to us. It's here offering us something that we desperately need, reminding us that God works this way. He puts things in our lives that shake us and wake us and sometimes shock us. And he does it not to have us always afraid or to, because he's a megalomaniac who needs attention, but because this gets us in a place where we can be actually productive and active and connected to what God's doing in this world. Reminding, being reminded that God's not far away. And as Jesus would have said it, the kingdom of God is near. And God still works this way. This isn't just a thing that you see in the Bible. This isn't just a thing you see in Psalm 97. But I get clues as, a, as your pastor and as people over the last 13 years have come to me 
talking about what's going on in their life or what's significant in their life, you know, you start to see some themes. Sometimes you see just, you know, you see clues of how God still kind of brings these experiences, just small things maybe, like the person who says to me, you know, my church is to go up into the mountains. And part of me, you know, doesn't feel right affirming that because I'm kind of a professional churchman, you know. I'm like, no, you come here and this will be your church. Um, but, you know, it's, but part of me is like, yes, yes, I get it. There's, you know, you go out into this world and you want to be in places where that, that, that barrier between us and the sense of weightiness gets thin. And you, that's where you start to sense there's something going on here. There's something spiritual here. God is close. So I can say, even as a professional churchman, I can say, yes, your church is, is the mountains. I get that. And I, other people, maybe something uh, even as tense as talking about how at this incredibly crucial time in, in their life, when it was absolutely rock bottom, how Jesus, the actual Jesus, who they weren't even thinking about or pursuing or worshiping or learning about or reading the Bible, that Jesus showed up in their apartment and brought just one simple word, forgiveness. And, and, and this is like the pivotal spiritual moment in a person's life. That God is still doing this. It could be as common as probably the most, the most common thing that I might hear of people where I think God is doing the same kind of thing is this, just the simple act of God bringing about a coincidence that just kind of stops someone in their tracks. You know, I'm just in this kind of low, dark place and that friend I haven't talked to in three, four, five years calls right then, right exactly when I needed that powerful, healing, hopeful conversation. You know, have you ever had a coincidence that, where it seems like God is sort of caring for your journey because right at this time, these things lined up and this happened? And even more or less common things that I've heard, even a couple of times I've heard that someone had a basically a, a heart attack or a near-death experience and what they experienced in that time between the heart stopping and it starting again was so incredibly powerful. It was such a glimpse of a God or divinity on the other side. It was so raw and powerful and full of glory that when they came back into their life, nothing, nothing was the same. Everything was now touched by glory. Life could never be as common and mundane as it had been before because they had seen something of God's glory, just gotten a drop of it. These are ways that I've heard God breaking in. I believe God delights in breaking into our life. I feel like in the, in the last two years, little two and a half years, I've had a season in my own life that has been um, kind of confusing and kind of um, might have hints of burnout. It might have hints of so, you know, midlife crisis. I don't, I don't like that term. But you know, just kind of different hints of like confusion and something new is coming. And let me tell you, in the last two and a half years, it's almost like a weekly, sometimes even a daily sense of just something that God is sparking to open my eyes and say, ah, you know, this, there's this, it might not, it's not even huge, it's just small things sometimes that God puts there when our eyes are open and when our hearts are ready to revive a sort of spiritual alertness in us, cause us in some way to tremble a little bit and to stand back. And of course, the pages of the Bible, 
once you think of things this way, that, you know, that God is kind of secretly, sneakily up to waking us up with glory once in a while, once you have that in mind, you realize how often, how many of the stories of Scripture, if you read it and know it, how many of them include something like this. Whether it's Moses seeing a bush that was on fire but was not burning up, that is strange. <laughs> that is not usual. I will go over there. And then the words are, you're standing on holy ground. Or like um, probably the closest image in the entire Bible to what's going on in Psalm 97 is when the people of Israel are about to receive the Ten Commandments from this mountain. And this is the, some of the context of what happens in Exodus chapter 19. I'll just read a few verses, starting at verse 16. On the morning of the third day before... Uh, I'm sorry, the, the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. There's these places in scripture where you see this kind of thing and you just wonder and you see God at work. You see it when the, these shepherds are just going about with their, I mean, what could, could have been more mundane and ho-hum about the night with their sheep as they went out and then all of a sudden there's these cloud, this crowd of angels, these messenger beings in the sky singing glory to announce that Jesus was born. And then there's all kinds of other things you'll be able to find your own if you look for them, like a simple rooster crowing three times. And suddenly there's this, <gasps> Peter is awake to God's presence. God wants to teach him something. God wants to open up his spiritual alertness. And then that same night, there's a point where we're told in Scripture that it literally, in the middle of the day, in the middle of the afternoon, it literally becomes dark like night as Jesus is on the cross. And then as that story progresses, and as he takes his last breath, there's an earthquake. There's people that were dead. There's dead bodies that come out of tombs and walk around. It's pretty crazy, pretty awe-inspiring, pretty unbelievable. But the people who saw it needed to tell about this earthquake and this darkness and these bodies that came out because it was, it, was, it was opening things up spiritually for all of them as glory they sensed was close and was here. All kinds of stories like that. And then Jesus, um, in fact, just this week, and you sense some of the themes of this in our service today, just this week is the time when churches have kind of decided um, is it's Ascension Week. So it's the time where we, we celebrated Good Friday and Easter, but then kind of the next thing in the chain of the events of Jesus is his ascension. He ascends into heaven. And so these disciples in the church forever afterwards have this image of, um, it's not superfluous and meaningless. It's very intentional. It's Jesus connecting with all of that ancient imagery of how the world works. What is up in the heavens? That's where God sits on a throne. Right? What is up in and above the clouds? And so God, Jesus ascends. 
And this is the final kind of important part of his journey before us to see that this is now where Jesus is. He goes up right before his disciples and he's going up in the air until they can't see him because he's gone into the clouds. So another one of those glory moments where his disciples, you wonder maybe as you read that story, they didn't walk away sad because it didn't mean what it maybe would mean to us. It meant him going up to the throne to being Lord of all the world. And that's the era that they now live in. That's the era that as we as Christians also now function within. And we wait for his return as he sits as king over all things. And of course next week actually is Pentecost Sunday. There's another one. Another jaw-dropping glory experience. There's fire. There's smoke. There's uh, tongues. There's wind blowing in. It's all there. It's glory. And the story gets retold, and we celebrate it. That's God still at work, and he's still at work today. We have our versions of it in the Bible that inspire us, and we have the versions that we tell each other about where God has shown up, and his glory kind of broke through that, what seems like a barrier between us and God. Let me just read one from this guy. He's known as... um, I think he's known as, uh, you, anybody know Mike Mahargi? I think he's known as like the science Mike or something like that. So he's a total science nut. And yet he grew up as this church kid. Um, and then he grew up into trying to hold these together. And he needed a time where he just had to put the church thing aside and a lot of the baggage of it and figure out what he really believed and put God aside. So he tells his story in this book called Finding God in the Waves about how he eventually, how God kind of worked God's way back into his life. Let me just read this experience. This is just one of these experiences. He's standing on a beach. It's nighttime. He's just had this kind of unexpectedly powerful experience in a communion part of a Christian gathering. So he's unexpectedly come forward and had communion. He's pondering this. He's on a beach. It's dark. He's praying. And then he says, When I said the word Jesus, the waves rushed towards me. I was standing high up on the beach, 25 feet or more above the waves, but the water still rushed up over my feet, all the way up to my shins. I thought about what I had just heard, that Christ's last act of service before his crucifixion was to wash the feet of his followers. I said, is that you, God? Is this really happening? And the whole world fell away, like the veil lifted from the face of a bride on her wedding day. Time stopped. The waves seemed to stand still. Remember, this is someone completely scientifically minded. Um, and this is and self-described that way. So this is, this is him reflecting on what happened. Have you ever tried to look through a sheet? You know how if you stretch the sheet rightly, tightly, you get a hazy image of whatever's on the other side of it? As I stood on the beach in the wee hours of the morning, everything in my surroundings took on that stretched, translucent quality. I could see what I can only call the glory of God on the other side. I felt God with me, in me, through me. I felt connected to the source of life and the source of all. Through God, I felt connected to everyone else, all humanity, and then to all life on earth. All my doubts and questions were swept away in an ocean of light. I had no more pain or sorrow. Suffering made sense as a part of a grand tapestry, one of millions of colors in the palette of creation. He says, I don't know how long it lasted, but it was by far the most powerful moment of life. 
of my life. It was like my first kiss, my wedding day, and the, rebirth, and the birth of my children rolled into one moment and multiplied by a zillion. Even as I type these words, I moved to tears and a profound sense of awe merely from the echo of that moment. When, I, when, I, when it was over, I understood why someone would feel compelled to write about a bush that burned but was not consumed. And he goes on. I like how Mike Mahargi's little story there sums this all up nicely and even includes something I haven't yet said but that is just oozing from this psalm, if you read it carefully, that it's all driving towards, it's at the beginning, at the middle, at the end, it's all driving towards gladness and joy and rejoicing. Some of you think, oh, some of the stuff, some of the big stuff makes me worried that I might just be afraid of God, or God wants to scare me. No, 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 no. This, is, this psalm is ushering us into gladness and joyful response because we found something of weight and significance, and it's confidently driving us in a journey with that significance. I invite you to pray with me. Our God of grace, when we need it, may you give us little tastes of your glory or big ones whatever we need. Whether today is a moment to ponder times that have felt glorious in the past or to acknowledge what has happened recently in our life or to long for something in the future and perhaps begin to think about placing our life in spots where you've said that you would be so that we might see your glory. Lead us, we pray, through your Holy Spirit. May we as a church, City Life Church, here in this spot of this city of Sacramento, may we be a place where you are able to use us in small and perhaps even some medium and big ways to embody awe and glory. Not ours, yours. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.